the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. All right, ready to go on a Thursday. And wasn't yesterday glorious? I just heard Virginia Mayo talking about it's going to be another hot one today. And uh, Heidi mentioned to me over my head, says, Dave, we're just a couple of lizards. And she's right. I love it. Hotter it is, better that I like it. In fact, uh, I found a couple of really big lizards. I don't know what kind they are or anything like that. And... uh, Hanging around uh, in the garden area yesterday and eating some bugs and enjoying it. Yesterday afternoon, it felt like 103 degrees. And I just got to tell you, I was out enjoying the heat. I really was. Like I told you, I grew up outside of Chicago. I am still thawing out. It probably few more years at least uh, to completely thaw out from growing up in that area all right let's get with it today we're going to talk about and dig a little deeper into these uh, consumer price index numbers that we heard about yesterday i mean what does it all mean you know what's the president doing what is the president not doing well let's talk about that today we'll start off with uh, our guest is uh, Ryan Young. He's an economist. He's with the Competitive uh, Enterprise Institute. Ryan, thanks for joining us so early in the morning. We appreciate you being part of the Dave Ellswick Show. And as you listen to the president talk, did you just kind of shake your head as you listened to him? I did. Inflation has to do with the money supply and the fixes that he's talking about, um, price controls, tax increases, subsidizing this and that. Um, None of that has to do with the money supply. If you want to understand what's going on with inflation, imagine two giant piles. One of those piles is money, all the cash and currency and bank accounts that people have. The other pile is stuff, all the real economic output, food and cars and houses and services. Um, And what the Fed has to do is basically play a matching game. If the economy grows by a certain amount, you have to grow that pile of money in order to match it. Otherwise, you're going to get deflation. And what's happening right now with inflation is that the money pile is growing way faster than the stuff piles. They're out of balance, and the Fed can fix it just by simply getting better at playing a matching game. And nothing that President Biden proposed has anything to do with that matching game. Well, what he's saying is that, hey, we'll just make this pile over here, all the money, a lot bigger by artificially printing up money and putting it into the system, and that is not going to help anything, is it? No, that's, that was the Federal Reserve's response when COVID hit. People shut down, and then when the economy slows down, their usual response is to try to boost the economy by putting a little extra money in the, in the circulation. And this time it didn't work. There was no financial crisis, no underlying economic problems. 
you had a pretty healthy economy that shut down for the virus and then opened back up. The Fed didn't need to do anything. Instead, they grew their bond portfolio from about $4 trillion down to $9 trillion. It more than doubled, and we are seeing the fruits of that right now. Okay, so we're talking about a couple of different things. When people say inflation, they throw things together that really shouldn't be thrown together. As you're explaining, you're talking about monetary policy right now. Then you have policy when you're talking about uh, food price increases, gas increases, and that has to do with supply and demand. I mean, I, I got to tell you, I got to think we got to get back into the schools of America and start teaching economics to them, at least Econ 101, so they'll understand a lot of this, because as long as they don't understand it, they don't know that what the people in these different administrations are talking about is going to help or whether it's going to hinder. That's exactly right. And food and gas and a lot of other things right now are actually growing faster than inflation. And those faster than inflation parts are not inflation. If you want to tell the difference, ask yourself, does this affect the money supply? When Putin invaded Ukraine and caused an energy price spike, um, did that have anything to do with the money supply? No. So that's not inflation. Those increases are still happening. They're still hitting people in the pocketbook, and there's still policies we need to pursue about them, but they're not inflation. It's a separate issue, and the country will be much better served if our policymakers realize this and treat separate issues separately. Yeah, let's talk about, you talked about all of this, uh, I think, in a speech that you gave, and you talked about uh, the proposals that are out there. You're already hearing the ugly terms of price controls and things of that nature. That's not going to have any effect on the money supply. If you want to have an effect on the money supply, you cut spending and you quit dumping money into the system, correct? That's exactly right. And even then, most of it's on the Fed. If you add up all the COVID spending bills and the infrastructure bill and all the massive trillion upon trillions that Congress and President Biden have been spending, that's only responsible for about one percentage point out of eight out of spending. The rest of it's on the Fed. So really, it's not even in President Biden's hands or in Congress's. This is a Federal Reserve issue. There's still plenty of things to do with getting to the science uh, loosening up zoning restrictions to ease housing prices. There are things they can do with non-inflation price increases. But the inflation part, that's on the Fed. The president shouldn't be trying to help or hinder. He should just let the Fed do its job. Well, you got Yellen that's out there yelling now that it's all about abortion. And that's unbelievable. But let's go back and let's talk about the last time we had runaway inflation like this. Uh, late, uh, late 70s, early 80s. Jimmy Carter's administration coming to an end, Ronald Reagan's administration coming on board. Volcker was the head of the Fed, and what's the first thing he did? He tightened up the money supply. And he didn't do it by a quarter point or a half a point. He added some points. He really tightened it up. Is is that what we're going to have to do again, uh, Ryan? Not quite to that degree, but yes. And the Fed knows this. The risk of doing that is that there could be a recession if they are too severe about it. So the Fed has already started to do the right thing. Uh, they're going to draw back that massive $5 trillion bond buying buy-up starting next month, but only by a little bit at a time. They've already started raising rates, but only by a little bit, although they're going to sneak for the rest of the year. I personally think they should be more aggressive, but the reason they're being timid uh, is that they want to minimize the risk of a recession. And 
since the economy did shrink last quarter. It's possible we're even in a recession right now as we speak, although we won't know until the next quarter's data comes out sometime in, in early to mid-August. So we've got the Fed, and they said, if I'm getting Powell right here, he made the statement, the object is to land the economy, but land it on the sweet spot. What's the sweet spot as far as they're concerned? That's well, awfully vague, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, it's real vague. Because nobody, nobody knows. He's just trying to use sweet words. <laughs> um, it's, I, the Fed caused this with their with their unnecessary COVID monetary buildup, and so frankly, if there is a rough landing, that's on them too. If they cause this, they can solve it, but there will be trade offs. So do do you do you 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 think you see the Fed starting to lean? towards doing the right thing and they're they're taking baby steps best way to put this they're taking baby steps will they will they begin to accelerate those baby steps a little bit or would you suggest that they accelerate those baby sets i suggest that they do whether or not they actually do i think it's going to depend on how the numbers look going forward um since there's a lag time anywhere from six months to a year and a half uh, between when the Fed does something and the time it actually affects the larger economy. Um, we might actually be at peak inflation at right now if we're not already there. Um, so we'll see how it goes going forward. I mean, it, it, what we have to do is keep an eye on that core inflation rate, which is, does a better job than the standard headline numbers of, seeing, of teasing out what price increases are inflation versus which are not inflation. Uh, the Fed knows what they're doing. They just, the question is, do they have the will to do it? All right. Our guest is is Ryan Young, and he's trying to give you the basics of Econ 101 right now so that you can understand what the difference is about, you know, inflation and price increases at the grocery store and at the gas pump. They're two separate issues. They got different kinds of solutions. And I'll, I'll say right out front, the president is not doing either one. He's not doing he's not doing anything that's helping anything right now, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, why is he so blind to this? I mean, didn't, he can go back and just read about Jimmy Carter and see how to get out of this. Yeah, well, a lot of people, like you said, never learned in school the difference between money supply inflation and non-inflation price increases like supply and demand. So that's why I propose something like using more ethanol in uh, in gasoline, which I think will shave a couple of pennies off of gas prices this summer. But the trade-off is that when you put more corn into fuel production, there's less left over for food, so the trade-off is higher food prices. So at best, it's it's zero-sum, and it probably makes the economy worse off as a whole. Well, Ryan, I got to take a break. If you'll stay with us, I got a couple more questions for you. We'll come back and ask those, and I'll let you get on with your day. I appreciate you joining us so early in the morning here on the Dave Ellswick Show in Little Rock. We appreciate you coming on and and trying to shake this out a little bit and helping people to understand kind of what's going on uh, with the economy. let me try to put it in a, in another way. When you look at inflation, if you want to see how inflation's affecting you, look at what you've been saving up for your retirement. That money 
is becoming worth less and less. That's inflation that's eating away from it. When you go to the grocery store and and you're trying to buy a rutabaga, let's say, and it's gone up 10% over the the last uh, three months, now you're talking supply and demand. We'll come back, try to help you out understanding this a little bit more. How do we get out of it? How do we get back to uh, inflation like it was under Trump? We'll talk about it as we continue on the Dave Ellswick Show with Ryan Young. He is an economist at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. I'm Dave Ellswick. Don't forget about ICU protection. They'll take good care of you. I've had their protection system now, their security system, for a couple of weeks. I love it. I just absolutely love it. I get all these pictures <laughs> coming to my uh, my phone, and it says uh, something like, um, it, it picked up motion on my driveway. And then down in the bottom, in parentheses, it says animal. And last night it was a possum hanging out on the driveway. And he was sitting off the camera. Camera was picking it up. And uh, earlier in the afternoon yesterday, it was a squirrel. Well, I'm glad to know all of that kind of stuff. And I know it's not a person, so I, I don't worry about Linda's at home by herself, except with Dexter, my, you know, he's my uh, um killer dog that i got the chihuahua that lives in my household uh, he would gnaw somebody's achilles tendon if they broke in but uh, as far as protecting my wife i don't know about that so i get notifications all the time on my phone those notifications come to your phone those cameras turn on it stores those cameras uh, video in the cloud and uh, you don't have to worry about somebody trying to destroy the information uh, that you're gathering or your system is gathering. Get the door and window sensors, again, indoor and the outdoor cameras, motion detection, and the analytics. True detection. It's going to tell you if it's a person, an animal, a car, or a really big gust of wind and some leaves or whatever. They do uh, homes. They do businesses. And remember, these are the guys that do the uh, security out at uh, you know, uh, the, the uh, nuclear plant, Nuclear One, out there in uh, Russellville. Billy Mack is the owner. Call him 501-205-1333. 501-205-1333. It's what I did. Talked to him. Said, come on out. They sent somebody out. We decided what we needed out at the, the house. Did we want one camera, two cameras, more cameras, motion sensors? I don't have motion sensors in the house. If I know somebody's getting in the house, then I'm going to send somebody to take care of it. And you pay for the service, but not for the hardware. Hardware is on them. You own it, and you get to keep it. That's ICU protection. All right, let's get back to our conversation with economist Ryan Young from the uh, Competitive uh, Enterprise Institute. He's with us today. And I was reading your points that you made uh, in a speech saying that some good ideas that the uh, Biden administration could provide some uh, symptomatic relief, even even if they can't touch uh, the the root money supply problem, and and you go into good ideas include tariff relief, loosening port and trucking regulations, and easing up on excessive permits and occupational licenses. So these won't help inflation because they don't affect the money supply, but. They will roll back non-inflation price increases, supply and demand, which are also hitting people's pocketbooks. I threw in the supply and demand part there. Uh, The whole thing of getting inflation under control, that is a a long-term 
uh, goal, and uh, the the things that they do is going to take long term. Correct. Correct. Even in the best case scenario, relatively high inflation is going to be with us through a good chunk of next year. All right. So if we want to see gas prices come down, we've got to increase the supply. So it'd be nice if the president would stop his uh, war on oil and uh, let our oil producers, you know, uh, make up for whatever oil we're missing because of the Soviet Union, which I understand from reading is like 10 percent. And we could we could jack that in that uh, amount just out of Alaska, from what I understand. So you you got those things. I don't know what you do about food. You can only produce so much food. Food prices, it might take a while to bring food prices down. What, what do you see as far as that, as far as getting food prices to, to come down at the supermarkets for the average citizen? Uh, there are a lot of things. If you want to go back to energy for just a minute, uh, sure. there's a law on the books, the Jones Act of 1920, that Congress could repeal today. And if you want to open up more oil for drilling and exploration, that, that'll take months, even if you fill up existing pipelines more, to more capacity now. That'll still take weeks uh, to, uh, to in- increase supplies enough to impact prices. That Jones Act of 1920, it's over a century old now, is basically a Buy American Law for shipping, and it, it has essentially tripled or quadrupled shipping costs. It makes it illegal uh, if you're going to ship from one U.S. port to another, say, Houston to New Jersey, where a lot of oil refineries are. Um, it makes shipping so expensive that it's actually cheaper for American refineries to import oil from places like Russia than it is just to ship it up from Houston or New Orleans. Uh, that law is insane. It's it's hiking gas prices across the board, and Congress can get rid of it today. So that would be um, at or near the top of any price-cutting agenda. Because Again, that's not inflation because it doesn't have to do with the money supply. But if you want to ease some of the pain at the pump, that's something they can do now. How about for, for farmers? Is it, you know, loosening up? Uh, on natural gas, so fertilizer prices come down, things of that nature. Uh, I mean, there's only so much land out there. There's only so much food that you can produce, correct? That's right. So, yeah, there are a lot of other policies in place. Um, uh, Food, for example, will be helped a lot simply by easing up on a lot of trade restrictions. Um, The China tariffs, for example, affect thousands of goods, a lot of them food-related, um, packaging related, shipping related, uh, those costs, my goodness, so they, you, you could, they, they increase food prices, I'm sorry, goods prices by an average of between 19 and 20 percent. Wow, that's a lot. Hundreds of billions of dollars worth of good, goods. And those tariffs are set to expire because uh, they had a four-year uh, lifespan before they were, are required to be reviewed. The administration is under some pressure to uh, to finally get rid of them, which would cause an enormous economic benefit. The question is that they view those tariffs as diplomatic leverage. I disagree because the goal then was to get Beijing to make some needed reforms. I mean, whether you're Republican or Democrat, everyone agrees that Beijing is a bad actor on trade, they have a bad human rights record, and they need to make reforms. So we tried to fix that with tariffs to encourage them to make some of those reforms. We did four rounds of it, plus a phase one trade agreement, didn't do a thing. Beijing didn't make one substantive reform. And when you keep doing something and it doesn't work, you should stop doing it. And the administration doesn't want to admit that. So if they do and actually get rid of those tariffs, that'll help with food prices. It'll help with the semiconductor shortages, um, clothing, lots of other goods will be 
a lot cheaper as a result. All right. So if we want to let people, uh, you know, read some of your articles, some of your opinion pieces. Uh, how do they get them at the uh, Competitive Enterprise Institute? Is it CEI.org? CEI.org. Yeah, we're a Washington-based think tank. We cover all kinds of regulatory issues from the environment to inflation. Uh, the website is CEI.org. All right. I appreciate your time today, Ryan. You, you got us through the mud phase, and at least we can kind of see what's in front of, you, of us and how to get out of it, and we appreciate your time today. Oh, thank you. We're doing our best. All right. Thank you very much. Ryan Young, he's an economist at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Interesting things that he had for you today. Help you understand exactly why things are happening. you got to understand a little bit about Econ 101. you got to understand a little bit about the difference between the money supply and supply and demand. There's two, it's two different things, and there's different solutions to each one of those problems. All right. We've got news, and then we'll be back with more. Paris Denard from the RNC is next. All right, back with you. We're waiting for our next guest to join us. RNC spokesman Paris Denard is going to be with us. Going to talk a little bit about this whole thing about supply and demand and how that's really affecting people. Uh, What has happened a little bit is that we've had – talk about inflation which is as we heard from ryan about money supply and supply and demand which is how much of something you have and what is the demand to uh, purchase that and when there's less of something and more people want it then prices go up exponentially because of it uh i mean you're in the jaws of pliers right now you know pliers got two things all right they got Uh, two pieces to them and they pinch and they hold something so that it can be held in place and that's what's happening right now you got inflation going up and then you got uh, supply and demand problems so you got the money supply making money worth less and then you have the whole thing about supply and demand which is making things cost more so you get when your money is is buying less and everything's costing more then you can buy less of what you want to buy, and so you start really feeling the pinch because of it. And Paris Denard's with us, RNC spokesman, uh, national spokesman for the party. It's good to have him on with us. Haven't talked in a while, Paris. Things have not gotten better since we talked the last time. Doesn't look like it's going to get any better anytime soon. The, the president continues to blame everybody else but his own policies. And, you know, that's the unfortunate thing about this, this, this situation of our country. Since the last time we spoke, things have not gotten better. If not, they've gotten worse, to be honest with you. And for millions of Americans, things are worse off for them uh, financially, you know, economically, socially, uh, than today than it was a year ago. And so, so many Americans are looking at the current situation and saying, how did we get here? What is going wrong and how do I get out of it? And the reason why we're in this situation, from an economic standpoint, from a public safety standpoint, from a health standpoint, with fentanyl pouring across our border, with the instability across the country, North Korea firing off rockets and missiles, and obviously the the Russian invasion of Ukraine, is because of Joe Biden and his policies that are being pushed by the radical progressive Democratic left. And the American people are not dumb, they're not stupid, and they won't be gaslighted, gaslit. They understand exactly what's happening. 
and they're frustrated and they want someone to be held accountable. And I believe come November, they're going to hold Joe Biden's Democrat Party accountable. Well, that's election. you know, Paris. That's something that people got to understand. This is just not the president. I mean, he's all he right. is is the figurehead standing up there for the party, and this is what the party wants: the Democrat Party, and what they want is destroying America. I'm so glad that you pointed that out to your listeners because it's absolutely true. When you look at the the, the, the issue of the Supreme Court right now. The Supreme Court justices and all of that, that is a function. The appointment comes from the president. And so those frustrated with the Supreme Court situation in terms of, you know, putting on liberal activist judges, exercise that issue at the ballot box come 2024 to get Joe Biden out of office. But everything else after that, when it, when it comes to all these policies and these rules and regulations and these mandates, those things... Joe Biden is the figurehead, but they're being pushed and implemented by members of Congress, the House and the Senate, and even at the local level. We can't ignore the local governments, too. That's right. You have Democrats that are in control of your, your, of your city councils or control of your school boards. You know, we have to hold them accountable as well because these liberal progressive policies are not just at the federal level. They are being entr- you know, entrenched into the local and state governments as well. Well, let's talk about two groups of people that are being hit extraordinarily hard uh, with the supply and demand problems that we're having and with the inflation problems that we're having. That's single parents, and it is also senior people. Senior people are on a fixed income. If you don't have more money coming in then what you have is becoming worth less, it becomes, you get yourself in a real pickle. And then if you're a single parent and it's costing more to feed your kids, you can't even find formula for your baby, you got real problems. Thank you for bringing this issue up because I know Republicans are championing the cause of the working class, the the middle class workers and, and families right now. But when you look at the disproportionate impact that this supply chain crisis, this Biden gas, high Biden inflation, all of these things are having on Americans, the most vulnerable are being impacted the hardest. When you talk about senior citizens on a fixed income, that's my grandmother. And so, you know, you, there's a fixed amount of income that comes in. We all know how this works. And they plan their lives, their grocery bills, their, their medicines, and any extracurriculars off what comes in. Nothing else is going to come in. It's fixed. That's right. And so when everything is more expensive, gas, food, you know, medicine, everything is more expensive, they have to, you know, they, they suffer. They, that sometimes, even in the case of single mothers, I was reading, they're skipping meals. Because they can't afford to eat for themselves. They want to make sure their children are fed. This is happening in 2022. And yet, you have Joe Biden wanting to blame, and the Democrats want to blame Putin. They want to blame the American people. The people of Arkansas, like, it's their fault. And they want to blame corporations and companies rather than accepting responsibility and saying, you know what? Let's have an Operation Warp Speed for the economy. Let's have an Operation Warp Speed for the supply chain. Let's have an Operation Warp Speed to have these manufacturers in this country and for the energy sector so that we are not in this situation. But I, I just want us to be mindful of the least of these at this moment and, 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 and let them know as Republicans, we hear them, we understand where they are, and we need to be put in office so we can lead once again and really 
put in policies that are going to empower and uplift and not destroy and hurt. Yeah, the bottom line comes down, the ballot boxes, for instance, here in Arkansas for the uh, primaries are open. We're in open voting right now. The primary will be the 24th. I went and voted yesterday. I voted for people that I knew were going to vote for policies on the state level uh, that were going to make it easier for supply and demand issues. The whole thing about inflation, that's a long-haul kind of thing. The the Fed has got to do some things uh, like they did after the Carter administration with Volcker. That's going to be a tough haul. I'm just telling everybody. But that has such an impact on seniors. Let's just talk about seniors for a moment. Seniors are seeing the money that they saved over the course of their lifetime become worth less and less, which means they can't afford these prices then on the supply side that continue to keep going up. It's, it, is, it is almost an unbearable position to be in. It is an unbearable position to be in for many seniors that are on fixed incomes because it's not just, you know, if you're young and healthy, you don't really worry about the cost of prescription drugs because you're not going to the drugstore. But for a lot of American seniors, they their their livelihood, they need these drugs, these prescription drugs to live. And it's not just like I get an ache and pain and I'm going to go and get it once in a while. It's every single day. And so when that is increased, or if there's a supply issue because it's manufactured in China or India, you know, and there's something like we saw during COVID, then it's hard for them to get it. That's an issue. So you add that on top of public safety. You know, if, if you're living in, if many have lived in these communities, they can't afford just to move. The, the, the community gets violent or crime goes up. They, get some, they can't afford to move. And then you add on the, the issue of inflation and the gas prices. If they're, if, and it's not just the impact on them if they're not if they're driving but about the goods and services that they need to get to them if they're having people come to help them what happens is companies they add on taxes they add on fees to supplement what they're losing and what do those fees get passed on to the consumer and if you're a senior citizen you may not be driving but you're going to still pay for it so we have to be like when you go to the ballot box like you just did think about those politicians and how they're what is their worldview? What is their view on local economies, on regulation, on red tape, all of these things, economic policy? How do they view it? And if they're not in step with where we need to be, you, we shouldn't be voting for them. Well, you know, everybody thinks they're a, the, the, the other person's politician is the worst politician. You know that. I know that. But here's the thing. If you have somebody that is supposedly speaking for you that you're voting for, and they've been voting straight blue uh, in Congress, you need to vote against them. You need to get them out of office and get somebody in that's going to, to vote differently. Because Einstein was right. A good definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Well, they keep doing it, and they keep doubling, tripling down on it, and it's killing all of us. And we're not doing anything about it, but that's why we have to vote. And the point you made is critically important. We cannot say, oh, this election, it doesn't matter, or I'm, you know, it doesn't, my vote doesn't count. Or, no, no, it does matter. It does count. Every single vote matters, and we have to encourage our neighbors to register to vote. That's why the RNC 
developed vote.gop to help people understand where they need to vote, polling places, get registered, and all that thing that we need to do. But we have got to exercise our right, our constitutional right as Americans, to take back our country and have it, the elected representatives reflect our values and our pocketbooks and our interests. I'm with you. Paris, thanks for the time. Always appreciative. I know that you got other interviews coming up. I'll get out of the way, let you get to them. Uh, look forward to you joining us again here on the Dave Ellswick Show in the near future. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Talk to you later. All right. Paris Tenard here on the Dave Ellswick Show. He's the RNC spokes- national spokesman. Always nice to have him on from time to time to talk. Uh, you know, I... It amazes me that if there's things that are happening in your country, you know, we're we're lucky here in Arkansas. I'm going to tell you what, we're lucky in Arkansas. We we're all red for all the people that we got up there in Washington. You got Bozeman and Cotton, you got Crawford, you got Womack, you got Westerman, you got Hill, and uh, you know. We might want them to be a different shade of red. Maybe we want them to be, instead of being, you know, kind of a a light pink red, we want them to be a a flaming red red. But for the most part, these men and women uh, that are are, are serving us are, uh, are, are holding the breach right now. They're kind of like the little Dutch boy with their fingers in the dike to keep the big, uh, big water from coming through. And uh, be glad that we've got people that are trying to stop what the Democrats are trying to do, because what they're trying, what they're trying to do on the Democrat side, uh, fiscally, as far as the Fed goes, and supply and demand side, depending on what the Congress is doing, uh, are terribly detrimental to what is happening in your country. You go to the, the to the uh, gas station today and yesterday. Uh, I filled up my uh, SUV, which last year it was costing me about oh, $36, and it costs you $53 now. That should tell you something's got to change. Something has got to change. And we got to hope that some of these people that are running in other states uh, that are Republicans uh, will get in and will make those changes happen. So Dave Ellswick Show, let's set it, get a break in. we got to find out what happened with the Travs last night. And then we'll um, find out from some politicians why they think you should elect them. And then we'll be back and finish up this hour of the Dave Ellswick Show. I'm Stephen Davis, and this is your Travs report for Thursday. What a wild ball game last night in San Antonio. Travs win it in 10 innings, 9-8, to eight, a ball game they never trailed in. Had two leads disappear, including a four-run lead late in the regulation game as San Antonio scored four times in the eighth to tie it. Game went extra innings. Looked like the Travs had everything going against them, but Arkansas able to put up four runs in the top of the tenth and then hanging on as San Antonio came back, scored three in the bottom of the tenth and had the tying run at second, winning run at first when Jake Haber on his 29th pitch of the tenth inning got a called third strike to end the ball game and send the Travs to the extra inning victory. Several Travs with big nights, three hits, couple RBIs for Matt Scheffler. Jake Shiner, two hits, two walks. He blasted a two-run home run as well, his third of the season in the Travs. A pair of one-run games to open this series in San Antonio, having issues closing games out, but get the job done tonight in 10, 9-8. Same two teams again tonight. 
from Wolf Municipal Stadium. 7.05 start. Connor Jones is the Traveler's starter against Matt Waldron for the missions. Two right-handers going at it. 6.50 pregame show over on 93.3 The Fish. Again, final score last night in San Antonio in 10 innings. Travs 9, missions 8. Series even at a game apiece. I'm Stephen Davis, and this is your Travs Report. All right, back with you. Uh, my thanks, first of all, to Ryan Young for being on today from the Competitive Enterprise Institute and then hearing from Paris Denard. We haven't had him on in a few months, and, and it's, it's really weird. The last time we talked, we, we had talked about we hoped things would get better, and they've gotten worse, and, uh, and we were pointing that out. And for, if you're a single parent or if you're a senior, especially if you're a senior, things are much tougher now than they were six months ago and they're going to get tougher i hate to give you bad news but it's going to get tougher before it gets better just to make the moves that need to be made to uh to make the changes that have to be made as far as the money supply in this country as as ryan said you're looking at 12 uh to 18 months for that really to shake through the economy. And when you're looking at, uh, you, know, you know, supply and demand, let's say that uh, all of a sudden, uh, you know, Biden comes to his senses, uh, which he's not. I'll tell you that in just a second, just on a story I got here that I want to leave with you at the end of this, uh, this segment. Uh, you, you got a situation where to get the supply back up to where it should be, it's going to take six months to do that. So uh, hang in there. We're in it for the long run. Uh, I know that there's a lot of you that now wish they were getting, ba- you know, getting ugly tweets instead of getting ugly notifications about how much things are going to be costing. Uh, the Biden administration yesterday is, said they're canceling one of the most high-profile oil and gas lease sales that's coming up before the Department of the, the Interior. As Americans are facing record high prices at the pump, uh, that is according to AAA. The Department of Interior halted the potential to drill for oil in over one million acres in Alaska's Cook Inlet, along with two lease sales in the Gulf of Mexico. The move comes as Biden has taken a few actions to combat high gas prices, despite his administration's generally hostile approach to the oil industry. But for every, two, you know, for every two steps he takes forward, he takes four steps back. I'm just telling you. He doesn't make any improvements going forward. Uh, he keeps moving this back and putting this in a tighter and tighter jam. A Department of Interior spokesman cited a lack of industry interest in leasing in the area for the decision not to move forward with the Cook Inlet's lease sale. That, according to CBS News, the spokesperson also said the department canceled the Gulf of Mexico leases, lease uh, 259 and lease 261, due to conflicting court rulings that impacted work on these proposed lease sales. So let me tell you what. If the course, if the if the court starts saying, well, you can do this and one and maybe this and another, or you got one court say you can do this and one, and another court saying you can't do that and one, there ain't nobody going to buy a lease because they don't know if they're going to be able to drill or not. Why would you spend that kind of money? It's not cheap. That's something else you got to understand. It ain't cheap to buy an oil lease. It's expensive to buy an oil lease, and it's even more expensive now under the Biden administration. Federal law requires the Department of uh, the Interior uh, to uh, 
you don't have these uh, sales uh, from time to time. They're on a certain timetable to uh, get them done and, uh, you know, to try to move us forward. But they're sticking to a five-year leasing plan for auctioning offshore leases. The department had until the end of the current five-year plan due to expire on June 30th to complete the sales. Within his first week in office, President Biden signed an executive order uh, temporarily suspending new oil and gas leases on federal lands. The administration resumed the new leasing last month following court challenges against the band. The administration is appealing a ruling which Judge James Kane, a Trump appointee, struck down the band. The uh, Washington, D.C. District Court invalidated another Gulf of Mexico lease, that's lease 257, in January. The administration is not appealing the ruling, though it affects a separate lease from the ones the DOI spokesman mentioned yesterday. So if you're an oil producer... Why would you want to even buy when there's that kind of mess going on? That'd be asking, like asking Joe and Duck, who are sitting in the studio because they're going to be on next, to uh, increase, uh, you know, how much money they're spending at their garages when there's a judge out there saying, well, we may pass some laws or we may find it illegal for you to, to service 30% of the cars that you bring into your garage. Well, if you don't know if you're going to get 30% of your cars, you're not going to you're not going to expand your business. It's just that simple. It's not hard. This is not hard to understand. It isn't. It's not hard to understand. This president is a cuckoo. He's nuts. He's cray cray. That's all I can say. We'll be back. We got more coming your way after the break. We got news and then Joe and Duck will be here and we'll talk about cars. started on cars let me give you the real bad news if you're a cryptocurrency person not good today today is a bad day for you Uh, bitcoin plunged to its lowest level since december of 2020 as a route and risk assess slammed crypto markets the most traded cryptocurrency broke below 25,500 you remember just a few months ago 63,000 25 5 wiping out all of 2021's gains uh, uh, Ether uh, Dogecoin Cardano also endured brutal sell-offs tumbling by up to 30% in some cases and so uh, you might want to check in on uh, the websites out there to find out what's going on with crypto because everybody was, was putting money into crypto and now they lost. And now they've lost their money in crypto. Hey, there is no investment out there that does not take risk. 
risk is always part of it. What go? See the saying goes: What goes up can come down quickly. And uh, well, we've just seen that almost forty thousand points. Woo! That's harsh. That's really harsh. I haven't heard about anybody jumping off buildings yet, though. <laughs> well, I think those folks that do that kind of investing, Dave, they're not hurting anyway. Most of them are. Yeah. All right. But they're playing. Hey, look, they understand. It's like going in a casino. You're, you're playing a game, kind of. Yes. Uh, and you can lose as well as you can win. The only thing that I'll say about uh, investments many times is that the house is probably not completely stacked against you. You are meant to lose when you walk in a casino. You always need to remember that. The odds are against you. They're always against you. Same thing when you go to the horse track. The odds are against you. Don't spend more than you can spend. Just go to have a little bit of fun. Don't try to make next month's rent on what you bet today. Don't bet next month's rent. Yeah, don't want to do that either. You won't go home without it. No baby sues, all right? Don't be doing any of that. I learned that not the hard way, but I learned that early on. Uh, And my daddy taught me that as well. He'd go out to Arlington Park, which is outside of Chicago, and uh, they didn't have a flat uh, racetrack. They had they had the sulkies, and he'd go out every once in a while, watch the horses run, and he'd he'd bet a little money, and he'd look at uh, my mom, and he says, uh, "All right, we can bet fifty bucks while we're here, and only." That was the next thing he said, and only fifty dollars. Mm-hmm. You know, it's on a budget. He now, at, was now at fifty dollars, <laughs> you can bet all day long. I mean, man, you want to bet? Four, you know, the first four winners in every race, you can. Each one of those bets costs you a dime, mm-hmm. and if you hit one of them, you can make seventy bucks. That's yep. that's all right. Mm-hmm. And I get it. You know, I get out there. You'll hear me extorting my horses. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what about the one that won the Kentucky, the Kentucky Oh, Derby? man, 81. That was an incredible. Incre- <clears throat> and that is, watch that race from the third turn to the finish line. He was picking them up, putting them down. That horse was back like third from last. And suddenly it looked like he was shot out of a cannon. He was lucked. He lucked out. There was a horse in front of him as they came down the, the final stretch. For whatever reason, I don't know. But the guy moved over a little bit towards the rail, which is usually a little bit calmer and lets you run a little harder. And, man, I'm telling you what, he moved over and that jockey saw nothing but brown dirt in front of him. And it was, come on, boy, let's go. And that horse said, okay, let's mm-hmm. do this. Yeah. And they, and they won. So that was, it was, I loved watching it just because it was exciting. I didn't have a dime on that, that race. Neither. But it was sure fun to watch it. It was a lot of fun. I, I thought that Rasmussen's horse was going to win. Yeah, he was leading all the way coming out into the final uh, straightaway. Had about a oh half a body length, half a half a length on the other horse, and then all of a sudden, pew, <laughs> yep, that <laughs> came in second. I mean, he got him at the very end. He really did. All right, enough about horse racing. But it was fun. Now I know for some of you who had money on the other horses, that was not fun. No. Okay, I understand that. 
Okay. But can you imagine? But if you had eighty him? to one, it was fun. I'm just saying that that horse paid one hundred and sixty three sixty a dollar. So just think if you'd had fifty dollars on him. Yeah, think if you had a thousand. <coughs> think I I heard that there was a million dollar bet on that horse. Think about that one. You walked away with some money. Well, I don't know. I don't really care, yeah, to be yeah. honest. It's not my money. It's somebody else's money. <laughs> I would think that if they won, they took everybody that came to the race with them out to dinner that night. I know I would have. <laughs> Generally, the biggest bet on a horse to that many odds is the owner or the trainer or somebody. Yeah. I hope that's what it was. I sure. hope it was the owner of the yeah, of I think the they said it was the owner who had that big bet on it. Yeah, he, <clears throat> I, I loved the guy. I mean, he's from Versailles, Kentucky. That's where I lived when I was in Kentucky and worked in Lexington. I lived in Versailles. Not Versailles, mind you. In Kentucky, it's not Versailles. Mm-hmm. It's Versailles. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. That's where cigar comes from. Yeah. It came, came from the farms out there. And their claim to fame, probably not now, but Johnny Depp was uh, raised out in mm-hmm. Versailles. His mom... Uh, passed away just a while back. He bought her a big ranch out there. So anyway, enough about that. Can we get to cars now? Sure. Okay, good. Let's go to cars. I want to talk to you about cars. Let's talk about something we talked about before we even got on the air, during the break, before I went into my last segment. And you guys were talking about the chips that we're all waiting on to finally get here so the car manufacturers can start getting new cars out on the lots and we're not being asked to pay exorbitant, terrible prices for used cars. Uh, Duck, you were saying you heard that now it may be 23, 24 before we really see They say before the stock's going to get built back up, it'll probably be somewhere in that neighborhood. That's well, unbelievable. It, like me and Joe was talking about, they're building one in Arizona, but it's not even going to be up and running until about this time next year. So then they got to get all the bugs worked out of everything. Then they start producing them, but they'll be so far behind the end. They, the, the, the backlog is yeah, going to be incredible. But because they're going to make them for Dodge, <coughs> uh, Chevrolet, GMC, Ford, uh, you know, Lexus and all. They're going to make them for everybody, so everybody's going to be wanting them, so... There again, you're going to have to say, okay, Joe, you're going to get 10. Dave, you're going to get 10. I'm going to get 10 this week. Next week, we'll, you know, we may have to cut you down to 5, or we may get you up to 15. You know, what might be interesting <laughs> is if you, have, if you can get out to Arizona and get a job out there. Mm-hmm. They're, going to need, they're going to need people to make those chips. And I'll tell you what, something tells me there will be overtime involved. Well, just like in Mississippi County, my home county up in northeast Arkansas, the steel mill they built a whole couple, four, five, six years ago, they're paying them people starting off at 90000 a year. And they just announced the other day they're going to triple the size of it and employ another 1,000 people. The problem is— That's the, basically a rolling mill, isn't it? Well, it's going to be uh, beams and stuff now. Oh, they're going to make eyeballs. Yeah, they've okay. been making nothing but rolled steel, but yeah. now they're going, they're going in. It got bought out by— one of the big steel mill companies, and so now they're doubling, tripling the size of it. And they said probably another thousand employees. But the problem is, Dave, there ain't got another thousand employees in Mississippi County that that wants to work. That's a problem across the United States. There's right some now. of these people driving over an hour just to go to work every day. Which and that's the way it's going to be <coughs> until our federal government decides. Guess what? You don't work, neither shall you eat. 
that's just like me. I need I need at least two mechanics. I need a truck mechanic and a diesel pickup mechanic. I've been everywhere talking to people, trying to get them to go to work. Nobody wants to work. If you want a job, call me. Is it because they're getting money from the government? You can say yes. Yeah. That's all right. Okay. Don't, don't worry about it. They're, they're not going to come looking for you. I don't care if they do or not. <laughs> I mean, I, I need empl- I'm te- I'm turning down more every day, Russell and Blake are turning down more than, than I'm doing every day because I don't have enough you help. You can only help. Can't you can only it. handle so many. I I'm two weeks behind right now on any kind of a big job. How about you, Joe? I got plenty to do. I got a couple guys in school in Dallas, been there all week. They'll be back tomorrow. We'll be proud to see them back. What are they doing? They're in training. What are they training for? Uh, they're doing uh, programming and scoping. Ah, new stuff. Yeah. Cool. That just means you'll be able to do more, which means you'll be covered up more. Well, it's, it's <laughs> you know, the way it's they do. It's a two-edged do, sword, right? Yeah. The, you know, the way the, way the new cars evolve so quickly like for data communication lines and programming and stuff like that and what you have to have equipment wise to go to ford or gm or chrysler or toyota or nissan or whoever to get the to get the downloads to do the programming they keep changing that up and and it's all different just about every year and a half to two years so to keep up with that their guys are down there in training to uh make sure we're on the cutting edge of it dave they about they out in dallas is that where they yeah. had to go yeah yeah do it's a hands-on school. class so they're okay. the trainers there with cars in there and they say we've disabled this car figure it out and to have several of them there, and they'll be in teams and say, this team does this, that, and other, and you guys go out there and come back and tell us what's wrong with it. That's very good. And cool. how you got that. That's the right. key. How did you get there? How did and you figure it out? That's correct. Okay, so then they come back, and they teach the rest of your team. Right? That's correct. All right. Keep all, the, keep all this in mind, all right? And uh, But that means an outlay. By Doc and, and by Joe, if you're going to be able to do some of this work, it means you've got to have more equipment to be able to do that kind of work, which means you've got to spend the capital mm-hmm. to be able to buy the machines that allow you to do that kind and of you work. And you've got to have the techs there that know how to use them. That's the main thing. And, and, those, and those classes aren't, aren't free. No, they're not. you got to pay. And you pay for it, right? I'm paying the guys while they're down there, and I pay for the class. There you go. It's a double dip. And there's no revenue coming in from those guys. Yep. That's the way business works. All you people who think that business owners are just greedy, grubbing, sitting in a vault somewhere in the midst of all their gold coins and running them through their fingers like, you know. If I had that, Dave, I'd never go to the shop ever again. again. (laughs) I'd be through. That's it. All right. Let's talk about bumper to bumper. Let's talk about how great they did. Uh, What was it? It's been two Saturdays now. Two Saturdays that we had the car show. Did a fantastic job this year. I mean, oh, you guys got you guys got covered up out there. There was a bunch of people, man. You sat there and watched them come in. Well, we watched them come in, and I left. And when I left, <coughs> it was hard moving amongst the cars. Exactly. There's a lot of people there. Yeah, we had a very, very good spectator turnout. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, and, and you know, we had a fantastic car count, too, 153 cars and trucks and 
you know, it was a nice day. It wasn't real, real hot. It wasn't cold. So the ones that got under the canopy, they didn't suffer. We had fans out there and water, and the ones inside, they surely didn't suffer. And no, it was great. We had good, uh, a good process and a good, a good show. And uh, I think we've raised quite a bit of money for Ronald McDonald. Yeah, we haven't heard about. I'm, we don't I'm, have the figures yet, but we will have them. That. Yeah, and and they're, it's going to be considerable this year. I really believe that. It with, usually takes about about a month time to get it all done and get everything figured up. Well, you know what we raised for. Add it all up. Yeah. Subtract what costs there were and things of that <clears> nature. <throat> it, it, it it's not free to do this. I mean, you got to rent the facility and, and all of that. It it does cost money. But I'm going to tell you what. I will say that in that in the big room where we were, we were at, probably there was more dollars in those cars than have ever been displayed in one of bumper to bumpers car shows. I think so too. Millions of dollars of cars sitting there. Yeah. I mean, there may have been. A few million in three of them that were sitting side by side by side. Could have been. Yeah, that GT, that was worth some money. I'm just telling you, that thing was gorgeous, what they had done with that. And then we had a McLaren out there. Yeah, and you had a Ferrari. Ferrari was there, mm-hmm. yeah. It was great. It was, then we had the rat rods. Yeah, we had rat rods. We, you know, we did. The same guy won it this time, won it the, the last time we had the show. Is he? I didn't see the guy that usually had been there. It's been two years, okay. He, I found that out he still? was he was sick. Oh, was he? Yeah, he was sick, so he didn't he, he didn't come. So oh, that's too bad. But that's too uh, bad. the guy who who won the rat rod, he he had won it the last time we had a car show up there. He lives out at Salem, out off of uh, Samples Road, and uh, he's got one that he just took a little of this and a little of that, a little of this, and a little of that. And, <laughs> You know, put dual wheels on the back of it, and I mean, it's it, it's considered kind of like Johnny Cash and his Cadillac. It's considered a rat rod. All yes. right, just understand that. And there were some roadsters out there that looked like, uh, you know, uh, the ones that you used to see the the the, the decals, yeah. the rat the rat rods, different rat rod mm-hmm. that they were sitting in with the big gear shifts and all of that. Anyway, bumper to bumper gets. Get your parts there. You'll get parts from Bumper to Bumper if you go to the Bumper to Bumper Certified Service Centers. Two years, 24,000-mile warranty. Use their credit card. Three years, 36,000 miles. And they'll get those parts to uh, the Certified Service Centers quickly so that the work on your car can be done uh, quickly, done well, and you can get back on the road. So Dave Ellswick Show, quick break. We'll come back with more in just a moment. All right, back, back. <laughs> I gotta laugh, man. I I came right back to the show, and I'm just telling you, we were talking far away from the show when we were in the break. Uh, it's it's the Dave Ellswick show. Joe and Ducker here. Let's do a car question here quickly. Uh, Barbara's got a 2001 Toyota Silica, a GT four-cylinder, 1.8-liter engine. Uh, she says that why does my car die when I first start it, and when I stop at stoplights or stop signs? I just got this car as a project car. I don't know much about it yet, but I wanted to fix it up. The only major problem that I can't figure out how to fix is whenever I start my car. My RPMs will go up to 2, then down to 1, then it will just go to 0 and die. I have to rev the engine for a few minutes to keep it 
from not dying, and after I get done revving it, it runs fine. The only other time it does that is when I uh, make a complete stop somewhere and then go again. And what happens then is that I'll stop at a light. The engine will sound like it's dying, like you can feel the engine shutting off. And when I try to push the gas pedal, it goes super slow. Then it kicks in and drives fine. There have been a few times where it has died on me. But I turned it off, turned it back on, and it drove fine then. Please help. I don't remember what it was with my car uh, that it was causing this, but my car did that. That whole thing of you pull up, you stop, it feels like it's laboring, and it's going to stop, and you, you're feathering the, the accelerator to keep it going, and then you can move forward, and you hit the accelerator, and it just gets off to a real sluggish start. What's going on? Well, from what the description is, me and Duck were talking about this in the break. There's an air inlet tube on that thing that's uh, got a mass airflow sensor in it. And the, and the age of this vehicle says that tube's probably got some cracks in it if it's yep. never been replaced. And sounds like it's uh, leaking right there and sucking in some unmetered air. What do you think? Though? Yeah, and it's sucking in behind it, so it don't know what to do. So it'll run it way up, and then it'll run it down, then it'll let it shut off. It, you know, and if you put the boot on it, it still needs to be cleaned. The idle speed yeah. motor still needs to be cleaned. The throttle plates need to be cleaned. Mm-hmm. Because if it's been pulling dirty air in, it's got dirt on everything. Yep. Well, it's, it's 2001, <coughs> okay, so it's uh, 21. 21 years old. Mm-hmm. Probably got some dirt in it. And them, and them little 1.8 engines, they run forever, won't they, Joe? They're good little motors. You know, she starts off with a project car here. Yeah. You know, she don't know how to fix this car. She don't need to be working on it. I hate to say that. And, yep. But it's a fact because I think she'll – generally, they'll get bad information from a code test from one of the parts stores or something, and they'll start hanging parts on it, and it's just going to cost them extra to fix it. And, and a lot of times when you have one that is leaking air, it'll throw up O2 sensors bad, it'll throw up this bad. And ain't nothing wrong with none of them. Yeah, it's something that's it's wrong before those sensors. It's too much air. Yeah, so keep, that all, keep all that in mind. The object <laughs> is not to work on your car. The object is to fix your car. That's always uh, what you want to do. And with that machine's day, to, to see what's going on with it, I mean, the first thing you need to do is pull the intake, intake boot off and go through it and look at it. All right, let's take a break. we got to get the news. Then we'll come back. We've got more questions for Joe and for Duck. you got a question? 501-823-0965. Time for uh, Bill O'Reilly. Let's find out what he has. All right, we're back with you. 25 minutes until 8 o'clock here on uh, 101.1 FM. The answer coming up at uh, 8 o'clock. We'll have a, a program for you, talk about your money, try to make sure that it's not getting ate alive by inflation that's coming up and then nine o'clock i'll be back with you for an hour here on the dave ellswick show and uh, we're going to have a guest from the heritage foundation and we're going to talk about some of the border issues that are going on down there not not only about how many people are coming across the border but how many drugs are coming across the border uh truckloads we had one hundred and seven thousand overdoses last year here in the United States, highest that's ever occurred. So, Dave, how many of them are con- uh, done by fentanyl? Most of them. Most of them, because fentanyl now is being used to cut with meth, with uh, cocaine, with all the other drugs, 
And when when you go out and you buy it illegally off the the market, you don't know what's in them. You you don't know what it's been compounded with. I mean, I remember back in the day you used to buy weed and it had PCP in it. You know, you had to watch that. That's horse tranquilizer for you who might not know. And uh, ketamine is also something that they're cutting it with. I mean, it is not safe out there to take drugs right now. Just not safe. Nope. And a lot of that fentanyl is, or uh, yeah, that, that that stuff is fentanyl is coming from over in China, and I don't see why we can't stop that. I mean, I put I'd put huge, uh, you know, I would punish the Chinese on their other products. I put all kinds of tariffs until they stopped it. They can stop it if they want to. Especially the Chinese, because they don't have the laws that they have to follow. Too much money involved. Exactly. That's exactly the problem. Too much money to be made there. Too much money to be made at the border. Too much money being made in the cities. Just the, the the way it is. All right. Andy has a 1994 Mitsubishi Montero. It's a six-cylinder, three-liter engine. Transfer case lever won't press down. Any idea how to fix it? All the super select lights work as they should. All other gears can be selected. 2H, 4H, 4H LC. I can't press the lever down to get it into the 4 double LC. I've had the transfer level out, and it looks fine. The ball bushing in there is intact. It's the white one, not the red one. The spring on the transfer level assembly moves up and down, but only if pushed with fingers. The lever won't move if pressed. Guy I bought it off of said he'd owned it for a year and not taken it off the road. So I thought something might be seized. What's your guys' idea on that? It's inside transfer case. Well, either that or the, you know, a lot of those levers, even though you push the button down, you have to move them to get them in low range either to the yeah. left or the right to pull back on it. You know, if he can move it underneath with the lever on the transfer case, then you would think there's something in the linkage. Yep. But I don't know if he's pushing that lever as far as it needs to go. I've seen you know. one of these before, and the transfer case is made on the back of the transmission. It's part part of the transmission Okay, on that 94 model. And I've seen them before. They've got a uh, brass bushing inside there. Mm-hmm. I've seen that bushing wear. And it gets it turns, out of line. And it gets out of line, turns sideways, and it won't let it go all the way down into what they call four low low. It'll go into four low, but not four low low. Four low lock. Yeah. And they won't let it drop all the way down into it. And you got to pull the transmission. You got to tear it all apart to fix it. Now, am I just guessing here? But this has to do with off-road driving. It's four-wheel yeah, drive. It's four-wheel drive. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's and it why gets he very said expensive. He had question marks behind where he said the guy said he hadn't had it off-road. You know, question mark, question mark. You know. Yeah. Well, that was the guy he bought it from, and yeah. you know how that goes. He buy a vehicle. But at least he was being honest. I didn't <laughs> use it because. I didn't go off road with it. That would be my answer. Mine too. If if I knew that it was messed up and I sold it, I didn't never take it off road. That's probably not a not a lie, but it's probably <laughs> not the real truth. Uh uh-uh. uh. You know, to the answer. The answer would be: Have you ever got the transfer case to go into low lock? No, I couldn't get it to. Maybe that's why he didn't go off road. Yeah. 
<laughs> it wouldn't do it, so I never went off road with it. You know, and, so and what does you, know. you know when it goes into the lock, Dave? All that does is lock everything together, make everything pull at the same time. So I, I'd lay you out that the transmission's gonna have to come out of it. So you're saying. You might want to stop by Mid-State and see Gary Henry, right? Yeah, probably yeah. a good place for it. Okay, so think about that. You'll call Gary Henry at Mid-State Transmission down in uh and and Brian, don't be alarmed if he takes you a couple of weeks before he can get to you. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's, he's come. <coughs> Let me tell you, Gary will be the first to admit, he got more work than he can shake a stick at. He's all really of us doing do. a lot. And you know why? It's because you can't go out and buy a new car. And even if you could, when you after you see the sticker shock, you may not want to. I was telling Joe when we was walking up, up to come up here this morning, I've got a couple of trucks that, that we put motors in a year and a half ago, two years ago. They just said, no, don't worry about it. I'm going to trade it. Yeah. Now you call and say, hey, this thing needs a motor. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. They would say, well, let me see what they'll give me for it. Mm-hmm. Right. And if it was just if it was a few thousand, they'll take it and buy something new. But now you can't. I mean, as, as expensive is as an eighteen wheeler is, is it just uh, you know normal business practice that you're always going to have a payment on your truck? Pretty close. I mean, that's I, just the price of doing business. Like, but you got people right now that's got these trucks, Dave. That's got a million five, two million miles on them. They're what they call refurbish them now. They're putting a new motor, new transmission, new rear ends in them, going through everything, fixing everything, you know, because they're the same shape that automobiles are in. Can't get none right now. They told one of my customers 11 to 12 months if he ordered it that day to get a Peterbilt. Yeah, so you can't be out of business for a year. No. So you might as well fix it then so you can stay in business. You know, and, and now... It's kind of like everything else. They'll bring them in needing an end frame, and it's $24,000, just depending on what all's wrong, to fix one of them, and they don't even flinch. Wow. Of course, that, that, I 30, grand, that 30 grand is, is, is probably a tenth of what tenth, a new one costs. A tenth of what yeah. a new one costs. A so new, new Peterbilt <laughs> runs in. If you get one that's, that's just fully loaded, got you know all the bells and whistles and everything on it, Anywhere from two twenty-five to three hundred thousand dollars. How many gallons of diesel does a, a diesel hold? Typically, ninety percent of them that run up. You see, run up down the interstate, they'll hold three hundred gallons when they're empty. So three hundred times five fifty. And how far can you go on that? Mile they again? average somewhere ten gallons the, is fifty-five dollars. Yes. Yeah. Do the math. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. You know, about five hundred fifty bucks. I'll actually for a hundred gallons. Okay, yeah. so let's say fifteen hundred to fill it up. Yeah, think about that. And, and then they how get, many miles per gallon you get? Somewhere around five. Yeah, oh. seven. The lucky. Yeah, downhill with so a. So you wonder You're wondering <laughs> why? Why? And this is a supply and demand issue. All right. If the supply is low and the demand is high, the prices. High, they it's go going up. to be high, but so they're they're paying more money, and it's not going down <coughs> because the administration's got policies that aren't going to let it go down. And and another thing too, Dave, people don't understand. You can spend twenty thousand dollars on exhaust work on these big trucks nowadays. That yeah, have nothing to stuff, do with the motor. That's that, strictly exhaust stuff. Well, that's the that's the you know the, the big green deal that they got out there, the new green deal. 
You know, they're more interested in that than they are in people eating. In fact, if less people you, were out eating, you do realize green, gla- uh, green grass. No truck that's under a 2015 can go into the state of California. Yes. That's your problem be on 2015 your and newer. Wow. It's a law they passed. It's an emission control law. They won't let you in. So if you wanted uh, if you had a if you had a run, a broker had a run and you wanted to go to California and go to the You got to have new trucks. That's correct. And if you can't buy any new trucks, what do you got? You got no business with California. That's correct. That's why they can't get no shipping containers out. But probably over 50% of them are unloaded on that coast. But they can't get them because the trucks can't get there because they're too old and won't let them in the state. See, Go figure. See, you listen to this show and you learn things that you just ne- don't hear. You don't even hear this stuff on Fox News. I'm just telling you. It's not there. California would weigh that law temporary. They'd have enough trucks out there to unload all them ships if they had enough people on, on the ground <coughs> to unload well, them. They're, they're stacking the containers in neighborhoods. Yeah. They got no football fields and every place. No there. Air Force base out yeah. there that's closed up. They say the runway is full. Mm-hmm. All right, Taylor's got a 2016 Jeep Compass. It's a four-cylinder, 2.4 liter. It says uh, it glitches on unconnect. I got a 2019 Jeep Compass. During my drive today, the display on unconnect glitches, and I couldn't use it. Is there anything I can do to fix this? The unconnect was <coughs> updated a week ago. Okay, first question that comes to my mind. What is this guy talking about? What is unconnect? It's just the. Uh, it's going to be the, the driver information yeah, center, information and, center. And, okay. and you know, I, I, that, that's. I'm going to tell you, it's a 2019. The 2016. No, it's 2019. No, well, one is a 16, one's 16, one's, one's 19. Okay. So it's yeah. hard. So we got three oh, yeah. years you to get, play with yeah. here. Yeah, I don't know that's which right. one's the typo. He gets two. So. He gets two. Yeah. But most of those displays like that are data control, which means you can talk to them with a scanner. So if you wanted to go in there and you wanted to look at the AC module, you wanted to look at the driver information module or the info center, if it's got any type of GPS on it, all that's incorporated together. You need to have a scanner so you can go in there and look at it and see if it's communicating. If it's communicating, you got your hots and your grounds, that particular display is bad, right? Bad, yeah. And, and he says he had it updated a, a week ago. I'd be right back there. I just what I was fixing because it, it could have been a glitch in the update. That wouldn't be the first time that's ever happened. No, and Chrysler is hard to deal with today, uh, as far as independent shops getting the information and the and the right downloads and doing it with the right equipment to make a what you would call a uh, software upgrade to anything. That's why my guys are down in Dallas in school. Just for that reason. Really? Yeah. That's what that's about. But the Chrysler Corporation, they don't want us to have nothing. No. Yeah, they want everybody to bring it back to them, right? Hard to get along with. Now, is that Did that happen when it was just Chrysler, or did it happen after they got involved with Daimler, the I'm German gonna, company? I, I, it, it's Chrysler has been owned by so many different people, and everybody has changed their process. That they're the most difficult one because 
what what you want to program on who own you know that company 10 15 years ago versus today the same people own that company all the procedures and, and everything, everything is totally different, different. <laughs> every time it changes and, owners and a, it changes and a pain yeah to deal with them all right let's get our final uh, break in we got to do that and then when we come back how about uh, this 2011 Hyundai Equus Ultimate I just I don't even know what kind of car that is. We'll come back and talk about it. It's an eight cylinder, got a four point six liter engine, so it's fairly big, but it's got coolant loss with no visible leaks. That don't mean that it's not leaking, it just means you're not seeing it. We'll talk about it when we return. Got uh, Joe, got Duck here. Joe's garage, Duck's garage. They're offering their uh, knowledge freely on the show if you wanna ask a question. Five oh one Eight two three zero nine six five. All right, let's talk about one of our uh, great sponsors that we have here on the Dave Ellswick Show, East End Towing. And they like to remind you that when you're out on the road, if you see those orange flashing lights on the on the shoulder, move over to the far side of the road from which whichever side they're on that's the tow truck that's there and they're trying to do their job which is they're either trying to hook it with put it on a hook or they're trying to put it on the bed of a truck and get that car or it could be a truck off the side of the road give them the room to work and uh, keep them safe and keep yourself safe as well know that no matter the situation you might find yourself in the uh, professionals at east end towing can handle it and they've got the answers for you. Call them at 501-888-8849. That's 501-888-8849. All right. I told everybody we talk about this uh, Equus a Hyundai 2011. I have a 2011 Hyundai Equus Ultimate Package. A few weeks ago, I refilled my power steering fluid and noticed I had almost no coolant. My car doesn't have a coolant sensor, and my vehicle wasn't showing any signs of overheating, so I had no idea. I topped off on that, too, and a week later, I checked again. The power steering fluid stayed the same, but the coolant was down to the halfway point. I figured since it was almost empty before, the coolant loss was just due to it cycling through. Topped it off again, and then two to three weeks later, I decided to take another look, and now it's almost empty again. The car isn't leaking anything from the bottom. I removed the skid plates to check if there was uh, any evidence of a leak. Still nothing. I suspected an internal leak, so checked the radiator, radiator cap, and the water pump. Still nothing. I've looked at everything in the engine bay and the exhaust. All completely dry. The car isn't driving abnormally or making noises. Well, that thing's got a coolant recovery system on it, doesn't it, Duck? Yes, it does. And that reservoir that he's filling up will have a cold level and a hot, hot level, level on it. Now, the way that works is you put it on the, if you fill it up when the vehicle's cold and you put it on the cold level. So the way the coolant recovery system works is when it gets hot, the coolant expands. So it raises it up. It pushes that coolant that's in the radiator over into the reservoir. Now, when you stop that vehicle and it cools off, it creates a vacuum. Sucks and it, it back pulls down. that coolant back in the motor. So, theoretically, your engine and your radiator stay 100% full all the time. doesn't matter whether the coolant is hot or cold. 
So if he's checking it cold and he's filling it up to the full level, what he's doing, it's overfilled. Yes. And what will happen when you do that, as you're driving the vehicle and that coolant gets hot and expands and goes over into that reservoir, it's going to push that coolant out because it's got to go somewhere. Right. And it'll push it out on the ground while you're driving it. And when you, you stop, you may it. not see no leak. Right. But if he checks it cold and it's below the top line, that's the hot line. The bottom line is the cold line. That's right. why he does. He's not finding any leaks, and it's not overheating. I don't think that he's he's got a reading it properly. Don't what, you know, what's your yeah. thoughts, Doug? I'm the same way. I think he's just not looking at it. Operator error. Yes, because if if he had head gasket leaking or intake gasket leaking, I mean it's going to show up for two weeks. It's going to run out of water and then run hot. Well, he would have misfire codes in there and some other Everything. things going on too. So. But, you know, and people do that all the time. It's an easy mistake to make. Now, if, if the coolant recovery system's not working right or there's an issue with it, there's ways to check the engine and the coolant system. You pressure test it and let it set. You can do it cold. You can do it hot. He's away. You can test, test the cap. You know, you can, you, can, you can do all your tests to determine if it's leaking. And on a lot of these late models, a lot of times if it is a real slow leak, you'll see a little white tracking coming down from, like, the water pump weep hole or one of the lines or one of the coolant housings or the radiator where it's seamed together something like that and you can you can find a real slow leak like that just by doing a very good inspection all right pressure test it you can figure it out all right let me let me finish up with kind of a abnormal question very seldom do we get questions about seatbelts. Mm-hmm. so this was on here and i thought i wanted to get this in today okay this is a 2012 chrysler town and country limited six cylinder 3.6 liter Somehow the seat belt in the middle row got pulled around the whole seat and is now completely stuck. It is pulled so taut that there's not a drop left to pull it out of the holder. The entire belt is pulled. We can't manage to get it off from around the seat. What do we got to do? Take it to a shop and somebody unboat it from the floor. Yeah, and then unsnap it. Yeah, it's tripped. What's wrong? And he won't let it release. It's just pulled too tight. Mm-hmm. You know, and the reason it's pulled around a seat tight like that. Twenty dollars said whoever's riding and it didn't want to wear the seat belt, so they buckled it behind them. Uh huh. But your retractors, what's happened is it ratchets back and it's got so tight that it can't. The little pendulum can't release on its own. Because, you know, everybody drives a car today. They're driving down the road, and they want to make a shoulder adjustment on that seat belt. You can do that, but if you're on the brakes and you're stopping, it ain't coming out. You're going to let it move. But it's ratcheted out, and it's locked is what's wrong. Yeah, and Dutch Road, it's, it's usually uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. Yes. you got to unboat it and then let it, you know, to get it back around. Yeah. So bring us up to date on uh, Duck's health. Are you good? Uh, no, it's not quite yet i'm still i'm just a week out from knee knee replacement again and it's uh i'm walking without my buddy you don't see my buddy said yeah i don't see the walker that's always good Uh, news they told me monday after i went to therapy that i could you know start walking without it good they want me to walk with a cane unless i need it because you walk stiff-legged with a cane if you ain't careful and okay they're in the process of making it it bend. bend uh yesterday when i went to therapy it would bend 90 degrees well, that's good. Yeah, they wanted 120, but um, once I get the staples out next Thursday morning, uh, they'll start bending a little bit more. You try to bend it past 90 right now, it starts pulling them staples on it. Ouch. Yeah, it, it tells you to quit. 
Yeah, pinch. Mm-hmm. Joe, thanks for Joe's coming Terry. in, brother. Yes, sir. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate seeing you, and same to Good you, Doug. you, Dave. You get 100% again, buddy. It's coming. It's um, I'm on the, on the downhill side now. All right. Find out about your money. Stick around. We're going to talk, uh, you know, education about your money, and then I'll be back for another hour at 9 a.m. Back with you, 9 o'clock hour, here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We're going to get right into it. Mark Morgan is going to join us. He's from uh, the Heritage Foundation. He is the former acting commissioner of Customs and Border uh, Protection here in the United States. So uh, I'm looking forward to having this uh, conversation with him. Typically, I talk with folks from FAIR, but Heritage has brought together a new border security coalition, which should provide Congress with a roadmap to end what Biden has been doing and causing the crisis on the border and reduce illegal immigration. Mark, thanks for joining us on the Dave Ellswick Show. And this is a, a pretty long laundry list that you all want to do, but there is one thing that you have said that makes all the sense in the world, and that is we can change the problems that we have on the border, but we've got to come up with a system to change the border, correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's what's very important. It gets lost in the translation. And this list is actually a condensed list because the the failures that I believe Congress has done in the past, administration after administration, is they've tried to convolute border security with comprehensive immigration reform. And that's failed decade after decade. What this roadmap provides is specific legislative actions to secure our borders. And part of the way we do that is to reduce illegal immigration. Both of those things are connected. When you have higher illegal immigration, the ability for us to secure our borders goes down. And the last thing I'll say is border security is also synonymous with national security. That's why this roadmap is so critical. Well, for the people who say that it is not connected are either totally myopic or just plain blind because... We've already heard from the Border Patrol some of the uh, terrorists that they've caught along our southern border. Yeah, Dave, look, that, that's exactly right. Here's how this works. When you have a, a, a flood of illegal immigration, right now it's the highest that we've ever seen in our history. The, the cause and effect is there is that critical border patrol resources are pulled off the front line. They're pulled off the national security mission to really become nothing more than a federal travel agency for the illegal uh, uh, aliens. That leaves large areas of the border wide open, unpatrolled, and unsecure. And what happens? Drugs are pouring across the southwest border, killing Americans. Look, the leading cause of adults from 18 to 45 is fentanyl. 
We know 95% of the fentanyl comes from the southwest border. And when you know, when your borders are wide open, right now, since this administration took over, there's been over 750,000 gotaways. Those are illegal aliens that broke our southwest border and evaded apprehension. And here's the sobering truth. There are bad people among them. There are murderers, rapists, gang members, and aggravated felons, not to mention the increased national security vulnerabilities that you just discussed. That's how they're connected. That's why providing this roadmap to really empower Congress to do what they need from a legislative standpoint to push back on this administration is so critically important. Yeah, special guest uh, from the Heritage uh, Foundation's Mark Morgan. He's the former acting commissioner of Customs and Border Protection. So you've been working this for quite some time. I've had fear on for 30 years talking about this, and it doesn't seem like and, and I'm going to irritate some of my Republican brothers and sisters, but the Republicans have not done all that we can do to stop this. I mean, it's possible to make the changes that we've got to do, but we've got to have the intestinal fortitude to do it. That's exactly right. David, no, you're absolutely right. Look, and there's a handful of us that just met with the uh, House Republican uh, conference yesterday morning, and we talked to them about what needs to be done. We, we specifically said that, first and foremost, this legislative action has to be about border security. We, we can't talk about uh, um, amnesty and DACA and all those interior things until we secure the border first. Here's my example. Your house is flooded from rain, and you're going to go in. Why in the world would you start worrying about the inside of your home when your roof has been blown off and the rain is still pouring in. The first thing you have to do is fix your roof, then you can worry about the damage done on the inside. It's the same right now. Let's secure the border, let's fix that roof, then we can worry about the damage on the inside. That's what we tried. Forget about comprehensive immigration reform, secure the border. Here's a roadmap, if you do that, the border will be secure. And here's the last thing I'll say, you're absolutely right. This will also help us hold the Republicans accountable. It's not enough to say the other side sucks. It's not enough to say and to comment about how the other side is failing. We have to do that, plus provide the roadmap of solutions. That's what this coalition, that's what this letter was all about. Yeah, I've seen year after year when FAIR would come out with different things that they would like to see done, and it just never got done. I mean, by Democrats or the Republicans. And if neither side is doing anything, for whatever reason there might be, then we're stuck in a quagmire of just slogging straight ahead with the way we're going on right now. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And the perfect uh, uh, illustration of that is it wasn't that far ago, long ago, President Trump. He had the White House, the House, and the Senate for two years. Yet the Republicans failed to pass a single piece of meaningful legislation that would have secured the borders. You're absolutely right. That's why it's so important to get this roadmap to the, the Republicans now to make it very clear what they need to do. And if they do it come you know, January 2023, I guarantee that our borders will be secured and American lives will be saved if they pass this legislation. Okay, so Mark, where are what are the big issues here that's keeping, for instance, the Republicans from moving forward? And then what are the big issues that the Democrats have? I mean, the Democrats want voters. I mean, there, there's no doubt about that. They think that's going to happen if they have this big flood come in from Central America, although it's starting to prove that that's not necessarily the case. But why are the Republicans dragging their feet on this? 
Yeah, exactly right. I, I think you, you, you know the, the the Democrats. They see a perceived political benefit you know, from open borders, either because illegal aliens are counted part of the census, so they see increase in House seats and redistricting in their favor, and they believe every single illegal alien they find a pathway to citizenship is going to mean a Democratic vote. So they have absolutely jeopardized every aspect of our nation's public health, safety, national security for votes. It's disgusting, and we have to call them out. The Republicans, though, look, there are still too many Republicans that remain on the shadows. There's too many Republicans that I believe that that are unfortunately too connected with entities like the Chamber of Commerce, right? They're, they're somehow still trying to convince uh, certain Republican leaders and the American people that somehow we need illegal uh, uh, immigrant uh, workers. That's just not true. That's absolutely false. And at the end of the day, that's why I say, let's fix our roof. Let's, let's, then we can talk about what's happening in the interior. But let's stop the flood. Let's secure the border. Let's stop the drugs from pouring in, the criminals from pouring in, and increase our national security vulnerability. So that's why this letter, this coalition, is pushing hard that this is about border security. And, and so we're really going to hold their feet to the fire to, uh, to hold them accountable, to do what they need to secure the border. Then they can worry about what's happening in the interior. Yeah, how do we – How do we We talked about this a little bit yesterday. It's a technique that the left uses when they're talking about, for instance, abortion or they're talking uh, the issue of the borders. They don't talk about the issue, for, for example. They talk to people who are sympathetic – uh, and then they say, well, here's a mother coming from Central America. She just wants to better her life. She wants a better life for her children. How can you deny that to her? You know, that's how they argue from. And it puts people on a defensive. No, that's exactly right. They play to the fact that this country is the most compassionate, generous country on the face of the planet, and they're convoluted the issues. That's exactly right. They make it about the plight of the illegal alien. That's why we're encouraging the Republicans to change the narrative to the truth and the fact is that illegal immigration is not a victimless crime. Again, when you have illegal immigration, especially to the, to the unprecedented uh, numbers that we have right now, our border is unsecure, and that forces border choices off the line. That allows the cartels to exploit that and take advantage of that. That allows the, the, the drugs to pour in to kill American citizens, to gang members and, 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 and criminals, I mean, rapists and murderers that we describe. That's why we have to change the narrative and, and, and educate the American people that this is about border security of which the only way that we can truly gain security of our border is to stop illegal immigration. Hey, look, we are for legal immigration. Let's, let's improve our legal immigration process. We're all for that, but we cannot stand for illegal immigration, which absolutely prevents us from securing our border and protecting American lives. This has got to be about what's in the best interest of Americans. First, illegal aliens. Second. All right. Mark, last question for you, because I only got you to about 20 after, so I'm going to let you go. But last question for you. You know, the drugs that are coming across the southern border now are compounded and they're cut with fentanyl. There's hardly any drug, cocaine, marijuana, whatever, that's coming across the border, meth, that's not got fentanyl in it. And we got 107,000 Americans dying a year from that. I mean, do people not see the death that's being brought across the border right now? 
No, I don't think they do, and that's a great point, Dave. Look, that's exactly right. We know the precursor chemicals that come from China. They're manufacturing the synthetic drugs. You name it, just about any drug that's manufactured is being laced with fentanyl because it's cheaper and it's a better high. And it's being pushed across our wide open southwest border because we're overwhelmed with the illegal immigration flow. And here's here's an example. So I'm sure everybody heard about it was just a, a, a few weeks ago where six West, West Point cadets were on spring break in Florida. And they were taking cocaine. Look, absolute mistake. But look, that mistake shouldn't have ended their lives. Yeah. But because the cocaine was laced with fentanyl, a couple of them died. And and as I read the stories, I read the stories. I, I, I read probably a dozen stories. There was only a single story out of a dozen that I read that even mentioned the border. And it was basically a one-liner. People do not understand that when you have a drug overdose, that over 100,000, as you mentioned, the overwhelming majority of drugs and 95% of fentanyl comes from our wide open southwest border. That's why I say this is about border security. This is about protecting American lives. And the only way that we can absolutely secure our borders is first we have to stop the flow of illegal immigration into our borders. They are connected and we have to get educated, and we have to force the Republicans to step up and do what they need to do to protect this country because we know the Democrats are not going to do so. All right. Well, you're talking to a Republican state, so let me ask you, what should our voters do here in Arkansas? Look, there's two things. One is right now, get to your state legislator, get to your state AG, get to your uh, governor, and make them do more. They can do more because every state is a border state. What happens on the southwest border doesn't stay there. Drugs is one example of that. So they need to get their state government more involved. And the next thing I would encourage, hey, have them go to FAIR, uh, or uh, their website, have them go to Heritage, get a hold of this letter, look at those detailed legislative actions that need to be taken, and hold a accountable responsible make sure that they actually enact those pieces of legislation that we've submitted all right mark i appreciate your time mark morgan he's a former acting commissioner of customs and border protection i appreciate the 15 20 minutes that you've given us today let's have you back on in the near future we'll talk a little longer anytime thank you thank you very much all right mark morgan here on uh, the Dave Ellswick Show. Good to have him here with us. And again, if you want more information, go to heritage.org. That's heritage.org. Or visit FAIR, F-A-I-R-U-S dot O-R-G. All right, back with you. Let's finish up this uh, half hour. And our thanks again to uh, Mark Morgan, who uh, has seen this firsthand with the work that he did as former uh, acting commissioner of Customs and Border Protection, or the CBP, that he was uh, involved in. Uh, Let me just read this part of the letter to you. And uh, you need to take a look at this letter closely by going to fairus.org or heritage.org, and you can find all the information on this. But as Americans, we're going to have to get really involved in this if we want to see the necessary changes. I mean, the chamber uh, should be ashamed of themselves because they have stood in the way of, uh, you know, changing Uh, the immigration policies of this country. Look, if there's really a necessity for uh, people from Central America or Canada or wherever they're coming from to come to the United States to fill jobs that we don't have the the people to fill, then uh, 
Okay, I understand that. But if if uh, if we want to bring in some people from outside, let's do it in a way that we control the flow of those people. Uh, let's make sure they only can come through certain points and then shut off those other points to where you cannot get into this country. And by all means, the number one thing they got to do, and look, the people on the left and the people, some of the people on the right are going to disagree with me, but I'm telling you, if you want to make this really stick and make it really happen, you've got to deny amnesty. You must deny amnesty there cannot be any kind of free ticket into this country giving you uh you know citizenship to this this great nation that we have uh at all that that's one thing that's got to happen off of this uh letter that was sent let me just read this is we the 118th congress opens with new majorities in both chambers it will be in large part because americans have rejected the biden administration's purposeful dismantling of our nation's borders congress should be emboldened with the mandate to immediately legislate unpensionally ensuring that neither this nor any future administration are again able to weaponize the loopholes in the immigration system to purposefully drive mass illegal immigration to the United States. The opportunity to legislate has been missed in several previous Congresses, but the stakes are too high for it to be missed again. Above all else, the signers agree... Congress should categorically reject amnesty of any kind. They also lay out other primary components of the border security legislation Congress must move quickly to pass, including many of the following. And it goes through a, a, a list of things that they, they need to do, like create an authority to immediately expel illegal aliens across the border. Uh, you want to fix the Flores 20-day detention ruling. Mandate inappropriate resources for completion of the border wall system. End abuse of the parole authority. Restrict prosecutorial uh, discretion to remove it as a catch-all excuse for limiting immigration enforcement. And then finally, just uh, uh, one of the many things that they say here... Uh, you want to codify matters of A and B, which clarifies that gang violence and domestic violence are not grounds for asylum. All right, 927 here on the Dave Ellswick Show. This is a good move. This is a, some concrete action by many, many different groups <clears throat> that are involved in this and are bringing this to the congressional leadership. And... Uh, do, and, and, and they can force these people to, uh, and when I say these people, these elected officials, to make some, uh, some differences. And their voices can be raised and be louder than the chambers and others that are out uh, promoting illegal immigration. Uh, some of the groups that are involved, Center for Renewing America, the Claremont, uh, Claremont Institute, 
the uh, Counterpoint Institute for Policy Research and Education, the Eagle Forum, FAIR, Heritage Action for America, the Heritage Foundation, Judicial Watch, Numbers USA, Texas Public Policy Foundation, and others. Other officials involved, Ken Cuccinelli is involved, uh, Gene Hamilton, former counselor to the Attorney General, Tom Holman, former acting director of Immigration, Customs Enforcement, and many other um, important people in the fight for border uh, control here in the past and in uh, the present. So uh, keep it keep that all in mind. And uh, I'll keep putting people on to talk about it. Haven't had fair on uh, in the last uh, few months. We've been talking about inflation. We've been talking about, you know, uh, supply and demand. We've been talking about a lot of different things that are going on. There's, this is the way the left works. The left feeds you all of these problems like out of a fire hose. And it gets to the point where you just can't handle all the stuff that's coming at you. Well, you've got to decide to start somewhere and defeat them in uh, some some area. I would suggest the border would be a good area because of what's happening on the border, how much fentanyl is coming across the border. Over 100,000 Americans are dead because of the fentanyl that's come across the border. And uh, the, the people that are now uh, not let go right on the border, but are being flown into parts of the United States and are inundating our public schools, inundating our emergency rooms, inundating our social uh, problems that we already have, and they're exacerbating it. You know, you can't have an open border if you're out there and uh, you're letting everybody uh, come in to a social network. All right, 25 minutes until uh, 10 o'clock. we got about 25 minutes left to talk. My thanks again, Mark Morgan from the Heritage Foundation for joining us. Don't forget, go to heritage.org or go to fairus.org, and you can find all the information about this letter that's been sent to uh, our lawmakers uh, demanding a change in what is going on on the border and a stop to amnesty in all uh, you know ways so that uh, we can control our borders again and and then getting control of those borders so where we can stop the flow of drugs coming over the uh, child trafficking that's going over the borders there's a lot of craziness happening on our borders because this administration is not taking care of the business that they're supposed to be taking care of and Mayorkas and some of the others uh, that are in charge of this uh, they're either just plain flat out liars incompetent or all of all those things all right let's continue on uh i wish i had some really good news for you about uh, what's going financially on in this country i don't yesterday we got the consumer price index it was still up uh not as high as it had been the month before two tenths of a percent down but that's that's not great news in any way, shape, or form. But if you really want to know where inflation is or inflation or prices are going, what you need to do is to look at what's happening on the wholesale level. What is the grocery stores paying, for instance, for a can of peas? Uh, what are car uh, sellers paying to get a new car? And uh, as you look at the price of those products 
you can predict what it's coming down the road for us, the consumer. And uh, wholesale prices accelerated more than expected for April. Inflation, of course, continues to hover near a 40-year high as a result of strong consumer demand, pandemic-related supply chain snarls, and uh, for some things, the Russian war in the Ukraine. The uh, Labor Department said today that its producer price index, the PPI, which measures inflation at the wholesale level before it reaches consumers, climbed 11 percent. 11 percent. Now, that's uh, a little over 3 percent higher than what the consumer price index was. And that was in April. Uh, On a monthly basis, prices grew by a half a percent. Although that does mark a slight moderation from March's reading of 11.2%, the gauge still came in higher than the 10.7% that was being forecasted. Core inflation at the wholesale level, which excludes the more volatile measurements of food and energy, because if you include both of those, it's a lot higher. Just let you know, it's a lot higher. Uh, Increased six-tenths of a percent for the month, followed by a nine-tenths increase in March. Over the past 12 months, core prices were up 6.9%. And this is not good. Overall, prices for goods jumped 1.3% last month, the fourth consecutive rise and the biggest contributor to the headline inflation figure. That includes gains for items like motor vehicles. Diesel fuel and eggs, diesel fuel, $5.50 a gallon right now. All-time high. Unbelievable. Prices for construction. Okay, how much does it cost to build a house? You know, you gotta, if you want to buy a house, you got to know that. Well, those prices soared by 4% in April. And when you're talking about $232,000 perhaps for a home, Figure out 4% of that, and you would save some some jack if that wasn't in there. While prices for services, well, they held steady finally last month. Energy moderated in April, rising by 1.7% after it surged 6.4% the previous month. That follows the uh, Russian invasion of the Ukraine. The uh, surge in wholesale prices comes on the heels of a separate Labor Department report released Wednesday that showed consumer prices climbed 8.3% in April from the previous year, uh, far more than economists expected. Consumers, uh, that's you and I, the guys that go to, and gals that go to the grocery store, go gas pump every day. Consumers are paying more for everyday necessities, including groceries, gasoline, and cars. Sky-high inflation has created a political headline and head and headache for uh, President Biden, who has blamed rising prices on the war in Ukraine, you know, Putin's price increase, as well as pandemic-related disruptions in the supply chain, and has forced the Federal Reserve to chart an even more aggressive course to cool demand and bring inflation down. The Fed now faces the tricky task of cooling demand and prices without inadvertently dragging the economy into a recession. 
Policymakers raised the benchmark interest rate by 50 basis points last week for the first time in 20 years and have signaled that more similarly sized rate hikes are on the table at coming meetings as they rush to catch up with inflation. This is this is some of the stuff that happened back in the early 80s. You'll remember when Reagan was elected president and took over from Jimmy Carter's administration. Uh, Paul Volcker was the head of the Fed. And what did Paul Volcker do? He raised interest rates. And he raised them and he raised them and he raised them. He tightened the money supply so that they could get some of this under control. If you got a big old stack of, of money... Uh, sitting over there, then the stack that you had is not work as, as worth as much as it was before. you got to get that under control, or everybody's savings are not going to be worth anything. And for people who are retirees that are living off their savings, that's going to be a, a deadly combination for them as far as money goes. Those back-to-back inflation reports will not dissuade the Fed from making another half percentage point rate hike when they meet next in mid-June. That, according to Bill Adams, the chief economist for uh, Commercial Bank, he noted that inflation will almost certainly finish the year well above the Fed's preferred target range of 2%. It's at 8%, over 8% right now. It's 6% over what their preferred target range is right now. Quote, the Fed will want to see clear evidence that inflation is cooling and higher interest rates are slowing demand before they start thinking about the end point of the current hike cycle, he said. So, you know, they're trying to talk. You're going to hear them say, we're trying to find the sweet, the sweet spot to land the economy. Well, you try to land an economy that is as big as what we have here in the United States, you're talking a lot of money. And as we told you earlier on the show today, because we talked about this in the first hour, uh, bottom line is that uh, it's going to take time. Fed policies do not work overnight. You're looking at 12 to 18 months for them really to work their way into the economy. So we've got quite a bit of time facing us uh, as far as inflation goes. And the administration is going to have a hard time having enough time to get all of this under control uh, for the American people to get back to just normal living again here in our country. So I'll keep that in mind. It's uh, about 16 minutes until 10. I got another segment that I want to come back and and talk uh, to you about. In uh, California, some things happen from time to time that gives me hope. I mean, really does gives me hope because uh, we had uh, a gun uh, decision made in California that uh, I thought was pretty interesting in that if you're under 21 but you're an adult still, uh, the courts have said, hey, to the state of California, you cannot have people not be able to buy a gun just because you don't want them to be able to buy a gun. All right, take a break. Come back with more right here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, so a big win for a... uh, for folks that are wanting to buy legally, uh, you know, 
uh, guns in in California. This this story from USA Today that I got here: California ban on selling semi-automatic guns to adults under 21 is unconstitutional. That ruled by a U.S. appeals court uh, yesterday, saying that their ban on the sale of semi-automatic weapons to adults under 21 is unconstitutional. In a 2-1 ruling, a panel of the San Francisco-based 9th U.S. Uh, Circus, oh, pardon me, Circuit Court of Appeals said uh, Wednesday the law violates the Second Amendment right to uh, bear arms, and a San Diego judge should have blocked what it called, quote, an almost total ban on semi-automatic centerfire rifles for young adults. America would not exist without the heroism of the young adults who fought and died in our revolutionary army, Judge Ryan Nelson wrote. He added, today we reaffirm that our Constitution still protects the right that enabled their sacrifice, the right of young adults to keep and bear arms. The Firearms Policy Coalition, which brought the case, says the ruling makes them optimistic other age-based gun bans will be overridden. The ruling was not a total victory, though, uh, for the gun rights advocates who had sought to block the state from requiring a hunting license for purchases of rifles or shotguns by adults under 21 who are not in the military or law enforcement. The court ruled the license requirement was reasonable for increasing public safety through sensible sensible firearm control. Handgun sales to those under 21 were already prohibited, but the stricter age limits for rifles and shotguns were passed in 2018 after some of the nation's worst mass shootings were committed by young adults using rifles, including Valentine's Day 2018 slayings at uh, Majority Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. The Attorney General Rob Bonta did not immediately comment. A, a federal appeals court ruled in July of 21 that a national law prohibiting the sale of handguns to Americans under 21 violated the Second Amendment. A divided U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit in Richmond, Virginia, ruled that the law was an arbitrary restriction that relegated 18- to 20-year-olds to second-class status under the Second Amendment. That uh, that 2021 decision came a month after a federal judge in California invalidated California's three-decade-old ban on assault weapons, comparing the AR-15 assault rifle to a Swiss Army knife. So uh, just to let you know that uh, at least... The courts are leaning towards uh, the Second Amendment and trying to protect uh, the right uh, for those who are younger than 21. Look, if you can, I think this is pretty simple. You're an adult if you can sign a contract. And if you can sign a contract and enter into a contract, you're adult. And so you should be able to ascribe to all of the, the, you know, beliefs and laws and rights that all adults have. They shouldn't be able to go in and say, well, you're only 18, so uh, you're not 21. Now, yeah, you're an adult, but you're not an adult by our standard. I don't think that that's right. I think that, uh, you know, if they're an adult, they're adult. If they can do things that adults can do, 
then they should be able to uh, to buy a semi-automatic. I I thought was interesting as I was looking uh, for stories on this because I don't like to use just use Fox News because if I use just Fox News, people write to me and they go, "Well, why don't you use some other people?" Well, I do. I I even use the New York Times sometimes, the biggest liars on the planet. But the bottom line is. The bottom line is, is that uh, in all their headlines, it, it was 18 to 21-year-olds can now buy semi-automatic weapons. See, used to be uh, they used to talk about semi-automatic weapons. At least this is one thing that I think because we had so much pushback on it, it helped. Uh, that people thought a semi-automatic weapon like an automatic weapon. Now you pull the trigger one time, you hold the trigger down, uh, you can flip a switch on the on the weapon, and it will fire. Uh, just keep firing. Now, semi-automatic, the only way that it will fire is if you pull the trigger. Each time you pull the trigger, it will fire a round or a bullet. So... Uh, you know, we wanted to make sure that people understood what we were talking about because there was a lot of uh, states that were trying to uh, push laws that if uh, they had become law and had not been defeated, that uh, if you just had a hunting rifle uh, that was semi-automatic, maybe had just a three-round clip in it. I mean, I've got a, a hunting rifle. It's a, a three oh eight. Uh, I can load three rounds into the top of it, and I bang, 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 and, and, and shoot each time I'm pulling. I don't have to pull back a bolt or anything like that. I have other hunting rifles that that's the way they are. But, you know, you can do you know use a semi-automatic. You can get a few shots off a lot quicker than you can do with a bolt action. And they would have made a, like a, over half of the hunting rifles uh, that people were buying illegal for them to use uh, just to go out hunting. And look, hunting is not why the Second Amendment exists. Second Amendment exists to protect you from a government that's overreaching. Totally overreaching. You've got to keep, keep that in mind. I mean, Washington called them the, the nation's dragon teeth as far as firearms went as a methodology to keep themselves protected from uh, from government. Because the Founding Fathers understood that the government can get out of control. They had watched it with the British government and the way that they, taught, they treated the colonies. And because they had all the, the firearms, basically, for the most part, they had the biggest uh, uh, standing army, and they had the greatest navy that uh, you didn't want to even take them on. Well, guess what? A bunch of, quote, hunters did just that, and we secured our own freedom in our nation. And uh, that, uh, that's a great history lesson. Really, really is. And for uh, governments to take over their companies, the Nazis, uh, you know, the the Russians, uh, Mao in China. What was the first thing they did? They confiscated guns. They took away the people, people's ability to have firearms. And the only people who had firearms was the government. And when, and when, the, when the other guys have the guns and you don't, you're at a decided disadvantage. A decided inf- uh, disadvantage. Look at the Ukraine army. You know, 
they'd be plowed under right now if it weren't for all the countries that have stepped forward and supplied them with the necessary uh, items that they have needed to take on the Russian army. They wouldn't have had a a snowball's chance in Hades in this uh, whole thing. But now because other countries have said, well, we believe a country that is a free nation should be able to keep their freedom, they should be able to fight for it, and they began giving them the weapons that they needed, the javelins and everything else that they got, uh, bottom line, some artillery now uh, at the, uh, you know, rounds of ammunition, bottom line. Uh, they have pushed the Russians back, and if not pushing them back, they've got them stale, stalemated in areas and, in fact, have tossed them out of areas that they had taken over. And the uh, word is out today that uh, Putin is signaling that he might be ready to roll to a stop on this initial uh, attack. But do know this, if he does stop and he hasn't reached what he wanted to reach, he'll start it again in the future. He's not happy with Finland joining NATO. Sweden is going to join uh, NATO. You want to read a great, uh, some great history? Read about Sweden and what they did against the Nazis. All right, They threw them out of their country during World War II. Did a lot of fighting themselves, put on their skis and put grabbed the, the weapons that they got from the British, and they went out and took them on one-on-one. All right, tomorrow we'll get underway at 6 a.m. again. Be looking for you. Robert Steinbach and Chris Corbett will join me. We'll be talking about, uh, I'll talk about this California law. I think it's something to talk about since Chris and Robert are so uh, involved with uh, the Second Amendment here in the state of Arkansas. We'll talk to them about that and other things that are out there. Uh, we'll, we'll all disagree on that uh, federal law that says you can't pick it in front of uh, federal judges or judges or jurors, by the way, is in that. And try to change their opinions of the way they may vote on a case. So we'll talk to them about that as well. Matt Smith's going to be by. At about 9.35, we'll talk about movies with him. Firestarter opens up uh, tomorrow, remake of that movie. And uh, then uh, during 9.05, 9.30, we'll talk to uh, the voice of the uh, the Travelers and see what he has to say about their season thus far here in 2022. That's all coming your way tomorrow on the Dave Ellswick Show. I look forward to you being with me. You have a great afternoon. Enjoy the heat. I'm going to. And then uh, we'll get back together tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.